0: the, the Churros.
1: Brigadero. Calzone. Apple
0: Pa. Mm. Mash. Toad in the hole. Welcome back everyone for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins and I'm the executive chef at the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. My guest today is from the only American state that I can't pronounce. She's graduated with honors from the University of Notre Dame. She began her career as a journalist in South Bend, Indiana, and from there she has worked in Arkansas, New York, and Chicago. She has been named one of the top 30 Irish Americans in media by irishcentral.com. She's a journalist, a foodie, and a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Her current show, To Dine For with Kate Sullivan, is on PBS, American Public Television, and Create. Kate Sullivan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, David. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: My my pleasure. The most important question to start right away. Have you ever been to Portugal, Kate?
1: I love Portugal. It Thank is you. one of my favorite places on earth. I was there. I actually took my uh, two children. I now have three, but I took very brave to take two kids uh, abroad. But not only did we do Lisbon, but then we, we took a train to Porto and did um, the wine tours of Porto. And I fell in love. Thank love you. Portugal.
0: And I didn't pay you to say this. See, it's a beautiful country. <laughs> right? It is
1: a gorgeous country. And if you're a foodie. If you're a foodie, there's nothing like it because they really, really care about their food there. And it's just so delicious and interesting, really beautiful place.
0: Do you know any Portuguese words?
1: Well, you know what's so funny? I grew up in a small town south of Boston called Lakeville, Massachusetts. And Lakeville, Massachusetts is very tiny. And it's right next to New Bedford, Massachusetts, which has the largest concentration of Portuguese people in the in the U.S., and, you know, Portuguese by, you know, are fishermen. And so a lot of them got jobs in New Bedford working on the boats. And so I went to high school with, um, you know, 70% Portuguese people. So, yeah, it is interesting. And so, you know, like there aren't, and I was, I went to a public high school, but there aren't many public high schools who serve linguiça pizza. <laughs> but we had it every okay. friday <laughs> okay uh, we had it every single friday and it, it, it became you know that's just what you ate um and so no i don't know i can't speak portuguese at all You just said Linguisa,
0: I, that's the words
1: that there we go but i i am familiar with the food i am familiar with the culture and since i've been there i now have a greater understanding of what a just a gorgeous country that it really is
0: Perfect. And which state are you from, just in case? I mean, you just said, but because I cannot pronounce, it's the only one I can't. Massachusetts? There you go. I can't. <laughs> it's, I struggle. There's <laughs> something okay. about it. We do have our own sounds as well that Americans struggle. So, you know. What's better, this is a quote from your show, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation?
1: Yes, I agree. To me, it's, it gets to the heart of what life's all about. It gets to, um, if you had to distill what a really great day looks like. And as a chef, I'm sure you can relate to this. Um, For me, it's my passion with not only for great food and great experiences, but for really interesting and nourishing conversations. And when you marry the two, to me, that's what really is the essence of life.
0: So your show to dine for is a show that you have different guests on every episode, and they choose their favorite cafe, restaurant, anywhere in the world. And the Mm -hmm. two of you sit down and talk about their careers from struggles to success. So let's imagine, Kate, that we can be in person, which Mm -hmm. restaurant would you choose?
1: You know, it's funny. People do ask me that. Um, and it, it would depend on where, w- what part of my life I want to really explain because I think food tells a story. So if I was going to tell you about my experience working as a cub reporter in Little Rock, Arkansas, I would take you to a place called Your Mama's where a cafeteria-style restaurant in downtown Little Rock that had a case of chicken fried chicken, chicken fried steak, fried pork chop, green beans, collard greens, Creamed corn, brown gravy, cream gravy. Uh, you would have corn rolls, you could have yeast rolls, you could have cornbread, and it would help to understand what it was like to live in Arkansas and be a reporter there through that meal. Um, You know, I grew up, as I mentioned, Lakeville, Massachusetts, with a lot of Portuguese influences, but really a lot of seafood, you know. So whether it's steamers with drawn butter and that's all you had for lunch with a beer or a lobster roll or just an incredible bowl of chowder. Um, and a really hearty bowl of chowder would help to tell the story of my childhood and where I'm from, and and you know what it's like to be from Massachusetts. I now live in Chicago, and you know wherever we would go in Chicago would help to tell this kind of this next chapter of my life. Um, I'm always curious. I, I make it less about me. And if you watch the show To Dine For, which is currently on PBS, it's really about the guests and having hearing their story through the lens of their favorite restaurant. And wherever they choose, It really. I'm not looking to eat at fancy restaurants. I really am not. Although we get to eat at some Michelin stars. You do get Star. to eat, exactly. <laughs> yeah, James Beard. We get to eat at some really extraordinary places. But for example, next week's episode is with Mark Cuban, who chose IHOP as his favorite restaurant. So, you know, it, it is about why did they choose the place? What does it say about them? And then to hear the story of their inc- extraordinary career, and what they created.
0: Where did the inspiration for the show came from?
1: Well, I love food and I have, I'm, you know, I have a slight obsession with going to different restaurants. It came, it certainly came from that, but it came from my, you know, 20 years of reporting and interviewing thousands of people And I know that when you make people feel comfortable, they come alive. When you put them in a setting where they're on their turf, right? Their restaurant, their favorite spot, they are in a different state of mind. And so um, I was interested in the storytelling vehicle that a restaurant would provide. I was interested in the food for that is my own personal passion. But I realized that not everyone cares about food the way I do, but everyone does have a favorite restaurant, even if they're not a real foodie. And so I was interested in using that as a unique way to tell people's stories.
0: In the description of your show, you mentioned that the guests feature on the show are go getters and the creators and the dreamers that are turning nothing into something. Can you elaborate Mm. on that?
1: Yeah, you know, for me, um, everyone has a different definition of the American dream. For me, it it is always evolving. The more guests I interview, the more I do the show, I'm seeing different facets of the American dream. But for me, it's the ability to have an idea. And no matter where you come from, no matter what your education level is, no matter who your parents were or what part of the world you're from, to be able to take that idea and bring it from inspiration to execution, to bring it to life, to see that dream realized. And then one, I'll take it one step further. It's about using that dream and the culmination of that dream to help other people, to better the world in some way, to be of service. So every guest on the show not only has created something out of nothing, um, but they are now using that something to really be in service to the world. You know, I think of, I interviewed Jose Andres at his favorite restaurant in Barcelona, Spain, Bodega 1900. And to hear the roots of his love of Spanish cooking and you know, how it all began for him. And you know, he was, uh, he fed the wealthy. He was an extraordinarily successful chef in the United States when he came from Spain to the US. And he really um, was trailblazing and groundbreaking in his molecular gastronomy. But at the end of the day, it's his work with World Central Kitchen and it's his Yeah, world... He does an
0: amazing job. Yeah.
1: He does. And it's his work feeding the few, feeding the many and feeding the poor, the feeding, feeding people who need it the most that is so remarkable about his career. And so he's a perfect example of Maslow's hierarchy and his ability to see a dream realized and then use that dream to better the world. That's so, kind of the that's kind of the, you know, the framework we use to choose guests.
0: So you talk about the American dream and that was going to be my next question. So I allow myself to pat my my back a little bit because Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I was just finishing culinary school and I had no idea exactly what I was going to do. Although 10 years ago, pretty much you go to a restaurant or hotel and the culinary world and social media and all of that changed a lot. So nowadays you can be a million things related to the culinary world. 10 years ago, it wasn't that accessible, especially in Portugal. And I was lucky enough to move to the US and I started at the Portuguese embassy and then I moved to the European Union embassy and I I teach classes as well. And so I want to believe and pet myself a little bit that I quote unquote, I got a little bit of the American dream and I did see and I did see through my own eyes the possibility that US has it has. Mm a lot of strange things that makes you ask a lot of basic things that makes me make, makes you ask how, how is this possible in a country like this? But then it has other things that you were like, wow, this is amazing. So on mm-hmm. that token, this was about me now, but on that token, yeah, is it more difficult in the modern area to quote unquote, reach the American dream? Or do you believe that the American dream was always a myth?
1: I don't believe that the American dream is a myth. I believe it is real. Uh, I wouldn't be doing the show in the framework that I'm doing it. If I didn't believe it was real, it is, you know, our new era, we're seeing even this past year has been such an incredibly difficult year on so many levels, racially, um, with the pandemic, uh, politically, we've seen so much exposed, it has been a year of reckoning. And even with all of that, I believe the American dream is real, because not only do I see it firsthand with the guests who have to overcome incredible odds and incredible situations and incredible rejection to get where they are. But also I see it with the stories of the restaurants. So I always say with To Dine For, you get two American dream stories. You get the story of the guest and you get the story of the restaurant. The hospitality industry to me is has always been one of the most inspiring industries. And this was before the pandemic, now even more so. The way that they have been uh doubling down pivoting uh you know paddling under the water and no one knows it to to stay afloat has just been absolutely inspiring the restaurant industry is the one industry where you can come from anywhere you do not need a specific set of education and through hard work you can hew out a future is it hard you bet it is it's actually extraordinarily difficult but it is possible and so, yeah, I loved. I think it's changing. I mean, the American dream used to be to have a house with a white picket fence. It used to be to do better than your parents did or to have your children do better than you. That was the concept of the American dream. It's, all, it's changing, it's ever evolving and I love studying it, but it is definitely not a myth in my opinion.
0: Do you think it will become more easier or more difficult to reach that dream, whatever that dream is, but for people coming to the U.S., or even for Americans themselves, do you think it's easier, or it's going to be more and more difficult? Uh, you know, in the next years.
1: You mean as an an immigrant coming into the country specifically? Yeah.
0: Or I mean, I, I mean, I guess also Americans sometimes they can have their own American dream. But more immigrants coming into the country, yes, do you think will be more difficult, more and more, or easier for them?
1: That's a great question. Since I am not an immigrant, I, okay. I would ask them. You know, I would. I, it's it's hard for me to ask that question as you know I have not endured what it's like to come in from another land and to face uh, discrimination, persecution, lack of uh, ability to speak the language or have access to resources. So from that, I, I would humble myself to say, I, I cannot speak in those terms. However, uh, being an immigrant, as we know historically, has always been difficult in this country, regardless. you know, It has always been a challenge. It has always been difficult. I think, however, the amount of the internet and the access to education and opportunities and access, just that word access, has never been greater than at this moment in history. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean like... 10 years ago, if you wanted, or 20 years ago, if you wanted to learn how to be a chef, you had to have very specific training, you had to have access to a restaurant, you had to access to people who knew what they were doing. Now, the amount of online videos and tutorials that you can access for free on YouTube, what you can learn on the internet is astounding. And while it will never replicate what it's like to go to the Cordon Bleu and, and learn have that kind of culinary training, you through your own devices could probably learn quite a bit more than you'd never imagine online. And so that access, I say that about cooking and and the restaurant industry, but that goes to everything. Um, What the access walls and the democratization of information, I think is leading to an incredible opportunity for people who are willing to look for it.
0: You were talking about the different people you interview with different Uh backgrounds. Is there a common denominator between them all?
1: Yes, there's actually many and I've been working on a, a, a writing a, a sort of the connective tissue between all these guests. I would mention two qualities that I think they all have. And that is when you're cre- like when I created this show to dine for I felt like at the very beginning I was taking two wet sticks and rubbing them together furiously, trying to start a fire, and to no avail. It was very, very difficult. I, what I realize is, you think it's personal. You think it's you. Maybe it's because you're a woman, or because you don't have access, or you don't know anyone in power. And you realize as I started to interview all of these other people who've created things, this happens to everyone. It is not you, it is it, it is universal. And when you realize that it doesn't become personal, the rejection and the difficulty, it becomes, oh, wow, everyone goes through this. So how can I figure out a way around it? They did, there's gotta be a way. So I would say the number one commonality is extreme passion everyone has cared so deeply about what they were doing that they were all the difficulties, all the wet sticks, all the, the no fire didn't stop them. They just kept going. They kept, you know, trying to, if there, no one opened a door, you know, they went through the window, they went around, there's gotta be some other through their chimney. There's gotta be a way in. And I would say having extreme passion is the number one um, thing that every guest has in common. And the second is, ability to weather rejection, ability to weather uh, just naysayers and people who say you can't do it, you're not, that's never going to happen, and finding a way to overcome that. Those two things would be the, the two things that every one of them has in common.
0: Yeah. It was even Jose that said on your show that he keeps knocking at the door. He keeps knocking at the door. The door is closed and shut and nobody's going to open. He's going to find a window, right? You always have yes. to see. Yes, Yes. exactly. Are you a good cook, Kate?
1: <laughs> I love to cook. Okay. Um, my children think I'm a good cook. And that's really a, in my world, that's all that matters. Um, but I absolutely love to cook. It has it been a skill that I work on all the time and a passion, certainly during the pandemic that I've been able to, to, to enjoy. I've had a ball cooking. Um, so I don't, I never, I I mean, my husband loves my cooking. So I,
0: (laughs) Hey, there you go. So you have the perfect, okay. Your kids, your husbands, is that a Kate dish that everybody's like, yes. Can you do that again?
1: I love to make, uh, in, it's not a hard dish to make, but I love when I have the time, I love to make a, a creamy mushroom risotto, um, because of all the stirring and the time and the care and you can't really rush that dish to make it just right so I love to do that um but yeah I cook also all sorts of different types of food um I've really gotten into baking bread through the pandemic I'm I, I was never a bourbon drinker and the pandemic has turned me into a bourbon drinker. So I'm Great. also it's a bread strange... and bourbon, yes. yes. <laughs>
0: Straight for <laughs> breakfast. Perfect. Yes, Kate. <laughs> such,
1: such strange habits during the pandemic. But yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you mentioned just just a little side note. You mentioned about being a lot of around a lot of Portuguese people and a lot of seafood. Can yes. you eat the fish with the heads on? You don't have to eat the head, but looking at it, does it bother you or not?
1: Well, it, it's, that's a good question because that is the going to Portugal and sitting in a restaurant in Lisbon was my first experience with the sardines and the fish that just arrived with the eyes staring right at me. So, um, you know, even though Boston and Massachusetts is definitely like the epicenter of great cod, great uh, steamers, clams, little necks, cherry clams, lobster we never really see the eyes. Yeah. So this must be a Portuguese thing. And clearly it doesn't bother you, does it?
0: No, not at all. Because, I mean, the fish <laughs> is dead. So I always tell my <laughs> students, you know, just flip the fish to the other way so he's not not looking at you. Uh, but it's, I love it. You know, I, I yeah. the funny thing is that I don't grill it at home. I just, I don't grill it all in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, but I, when I go to Portugal, you know, I could be a pescatarian. It's not part of my diet, but, you know, because it's just, it's so fresh. Yes. And as you've been there, they just grill it. It's salt and fish. There's no sauce and that's it. But I was just wondering as an American, if there's something that bothers you slightly, if it, even if it it's does. just a shrimp, the heads of the shrimp.
1: It, it, I, think it is, I think it's cultural. Yeah, it, it is. It is a little off-putting. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it that way.
0: <laughs> I get it. So let's play a little game here. Uh, okay. You can choose an island. Do you have an island on top of your head you like? Yes. Go for it. Which island? Can you Anguilla. Share? Perfect. You, there, you go there by yourself. You can take your family. Okay. I don't want to be that mean. You can take your family. You can choose one protein, one vegetable, one fruit, and one dessert. What do you you take? One protein.
1: Okay. So I just recently went to Anguilla for an episode of To Dine For. So this is perfect. Um, Crayfish. Okay. So crayfish uh, is native to Anguilla. It is for the people who don't don't know, it's a smaller lobster. It's sweeter. It's served grilled there and it's absolutely divine. I loved it. Um, as far, I also had a drunken shrimp with that had curry in it that okay. was very Caribbean. I didn't realize curry was native to the Caribbean, but it is. I was absolutely over the moon about it. Um, As far as a, did you say a starch? A vegetable. Ah, a vegetable. Hmm, Let me pass on that one. I I would say. Vegetable, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's fine. Well, I love butternut squash and I love Carrots.
0: It's only one, um, Kate, so you can choose. Sorry, I'll
1: bring my butternut squash then, okay. even though it probably has nothing to do with anguilla, but I'll bring okay. my butternut squash and it's heavy too. So it's not good to travel with, but mm. I do. I, it's one of, that is my favorite vegetable for sure is butternut squash. And what um, fruits you can take? Oh gosh, uh, i love a plum.
0: And how about desserts?
1: Well, key lime pie is my favorite dessert.
0: So you just imagine you going to anguilla with crawfish in your bag, <laughs> butternut squash, plum, <laughs> And I think it's perfect. Yeah, uh, okay, it so, sounds great. <laughs> so shifting the conversation a little bit, what was your first memory of taste?
1: Mm. I wrote an article about how my, speaking of plums, how my mother, when we would go to the beach as a kid, she, you know, she would always pack sandwiches. Nowadays, people buy stuff on the beach. That wasn't an option when I was a kid. So she would always pack like turkey or bologna sandwiches and she would always put plums in the bottom of an ice box and so when we were at the beach as a snack I remember biting into a plum at the beach with the salt air and just the sweetness of the plum uh, and just the perfectly ripe plum and just like the the memory of being at the beach eating that plum is very very real.
0: Most underrated ingredient for you?
1: Underrated ingredient cinnamon.
0: Okay. Overrated.
1: Overrated. Salts, because you can put flavor in different ways.
0: The best breakfast you can have.
1: Coffee for sure. You got to (laughs) have coffee. But honestly, like I think just doing some simple fried eggs and bacon for me doesn't get better.
0: See, that's something I haven't quite got there. I can eat probably eggs for breakfast once a month.
1: Really? So what do you eat for breakfast?
0: It's So breakfast, I'm not going to say everybody in Portugal is like that. If you're on the coast of Portugal. The pastel de nada? Pastel de nada, yes, the custard tarts. Yeah, We eat a lot of sweets. People don't have that idea, but we have, if you've been there, you know. You go to a Mm -hmm. a little pastry and they offer you 30, 35, 40 different kinds of of pastries. And in the interior, it's a little different. It's almost like in the U.S. it's more farm-like. So people do eat more, imagine like chorizos or more more hearty things being Mm -hmm. on the coast and being on the bigger ish cities for me it always has to be toast good bread Mm -hmm. because we do have good bread in Portugal so Mm -hmm. coffee with milk a good toast and that's pretty much it I mean at home I also I also eat parfait I also like that but Mm -hmm. in Portugal it's the sweets yes the custard tart why not just start with something like that or just a good toast but we are not very rarely nowadays things are a little more trendy all over the world so you will see there's establishments that will make some uh, eggs for you but i cannot mm-hmm. eat eggs for breakfast it's just interesting it's not... do you
1: put some butter on the toast or do you do any like nutella or jam
0: nutella with toast is that a thing
1: <laughs> it is
0: Look, no no uh you know one, one time <laughs> no one time someone brought me a breakfast in bed which i thought was very nice but yeah he had jam and butter oh and that was the reason for our fights because that we don't do that. You put jam oh. or you put butter, uh, oh, but, but yes, not, butter, not both.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. See, I like to put a little bit of butter and then like a blackberry or a dark berry jam on top of the butter. Mm-hmm. And the combination of the two is perfect, but yeah. you say no. I mean,
0: I say no, I'm sure other people okay. like it. you like it. Other people I love it. Like yeah. it. Yeah. My mom, when she was here going back to the savory breakfast, she, we were eating, and this was like seven years ago, and I made biscuits and gravy. Mm. For her surprise, she asked me, There's no way people eat this at 9 a.m., right? And I was like, No, they do. <laughs> and she was just looking at me. She was very confused. She ate some at two o'clock. She,
1: yeah
0: for me to eat biscuits and gravy, and I love biscuits and gravy. I do as too. much as it sounds silly, I have to be awake at least for three hours before I eat that.
1: Yeah, you don't like a heavy breakfast.
0: No, it's not for me. Yeah. But I mean, I, I like to be full with breakfast right but not a hearty heavy breakfast uh, the strangest combination food wise people might do it that you just cannot accept
1: mm. i don't know combination that
0: i do you want to hear some examples i've heard just in case yes, you, something so Help jog I, my
1: memory uh,
0: so when i was teaching classes these ones are a little more hardcore but some people put popcorn in tomato soup Ooh, okay that, that's a good one uh, a yeah. coles- coleslaw sandwich. I've said this before here. Someone just made a slaw and just two pieces of bread, and you ate as a sandwich. Uh, okay, I have an idea. I have an. See? I have one. Okay, uh,
1: you helped me. Thank you. I really n- have never gotten on board with the gelatinous salads that some people serve at Thanksgiving or at family functions that are like Jello with either. Fruit or vegetables or even marshmallows in them. Have, are you familiar? This is a big what kind of American- people. Are
0: you hanging out with, Kate? I have no. <laughs> no idea what you're talking.
1: No, really, it's it's a Jello salad that is quite popular in parts of the South that okay. people serve on their family, and I've never really been able to stomach that.
0: So it does have gelatin on it, or you just
1: it's all Jello with things in it floating in the job Oh, okay.
0: Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the name of the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens oh. means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. Have you been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes?
1: <laughs> so you, let me, let me get this straight. You say breaking dishes when they are just killing it.
0: Sure, when there's just skilling, they exceed expectations, yes, and turning okay. chickens in someone that has a lot of experience.
1: I love that. Uh, well, I feel like every guest on to dine for is turning chickens and breaking dishes. I think they're doing both. They are uh, they're bringing this wealth of knowledge to the program and all the lessons learned. This, this particular week, um, if you go to pbs.org, is the episode with Daniel Lubetzky, who created Kind Bars. And he is a Mexican Jew who f- whose father survived the Holocaust. And he spent his life um, trying to extend kindness and peace through business. So he started with a uh, sun-dried tomato paste that was made in the Middle East. And he a portion of the profits went to support peace in the Middle East. He, for 10 years, he went door to door in New York trying to sell the sun-dried tomato paste unsuccessfully. No one would really give it a shot. And he really, he got some success, but it wasn't much. Well, he used every bit of that knowledge and that wisdom of of that experience to create Kind Bars, which is a billion dollar brand. Um, And to hear his story is so inspirational, but it is both um, a story of turning chickens And it is a story of breaking dishes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, those are the kind of stories that really get me going. And at the very heart of what I do.
0: Yeah. And how about for you, for your life? What do you think for you? Have you been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes for you?
1: And and when you say that, do you mean, am I getting more wisdom or am I actually doing well?
0: Yeah. Some people, if you think where you are today in your life, uh, do you think you exceeded completely expectations? You know, you never thought you'll be where you are or do you think like through your experience you are where you are? So, you know, the mm. chickens is the experience the breaking dishes will be the exceeding expectations. Where do you think for yourself? You don't oh, have to answer, but
1: no, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. I just think email me later.
0: To, <laughs> I will know.
1: <laughs> I think the truth of the matter is I'm a work in progress and I, I guess it would, if you're to answer you right now, it would be turning chickens.
0: So, other Portuguese phrase at the end of the podcast, it's uh, I call it sell your fish. So, in Portuguese, if someone tells us you sell your fish, it's to talk about themselves. I want you to tell people where <laughs> they can find you. I know. I where, love that. <laughs> where sell people your can fish. F- sell your fish, where people can find you, where people can find the show, what's in the future for you. Just sell your fish, Kate, please.
1: Okay. Let me sell my fish here. So To Dine For is currently on Amazon Prime Season 1 and Season 2. It is on public television. Season 3 is uh, is just started on PBS station. So check your local listings or you can go to pbs.org to watch episodes. I have a podcast called To Dine For The Podcast where we interview people at their favorite restaurants. We're doing a lot virtually right now. And you can always find out more information at todinefortv.com. What is next for the show? We have um, coming up next week is Mark Cuban from IHOP talking about his incredible career as a billionaire, a serial entrepreneur and owner of the Dallas Mavericks. We interview Kimball Musk, who is the brother of Elon Musk, who's also a restaurateur and a a food advocate for uh, Urban Gardens. Uh, we have an incredible array of guests. So I'd love for everyone to check out, whether you watch it on TV or online. Uh, and let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you.
0: Perfect. And the last thing people will believe is that I'm a huge Dallas Mavericks fan. See if oh. I knew we talked with Mark Cuban since I was 12. <laughs> so it's true. Really? Absolutely true. Uh, we lost, oh, uh, we lost again yesterday, but we don't have to talk about that. Okay. But anyway, uh, Kate, this was a pleasure.
1: This was a pleasure. Thank you so. Thank much you for very much
0: for the for this conversation. I encourage everyone to check your show. It's really really good, and I hope to catch up with you very very soon. So thank you.
1: That sounds amazing. Thank you, David. Have a great one. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Bye bye.
0: Did you like that episode? I know you did. Thank you very much, Kate, for coming on the podcast. Don't forget, every Wednesday, I release a new episode, so make sure you stay tuned all the time. Don't forget, also, if you want to ask me a question or if you have any suggestion, you can send me an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. Follow the Instagram page, instagram.com slash turningchickensbreakingdishes. I'll see you next week. Make sure you're safe. Be happy. Adios.